Welcome, everyone, to the new 1001 Sherlock Holmes Stories podcast. Here you'll find a collection of Sherlock Holmes adventures, as well as the best of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's stories. Some from our archives at 1001 Classic Short Stories and 1001 Stories for the Road, and some newly produced, all here for your entertainment. present the stories of Sherlock Holmes. It was at the beginning of 1886 that I opened my surgery in Maida Vale and Paddington. The rooms were quite small but well equipped, and my practice began to flourish from the very first day. The place suited me admirably, for I was still living at 221B Baker Street, a brief half an hour's walk away, and I found the daily exercise most beneficial. I'd only been working there a matter of a month when, on a blustery January morning, the outer door burst open and a young, poorly dressed stranger staggered in. He collapsed, and before I had a chance to examine him, he died in my arms. There was nothing I could do but send for the police, and, as I thought I caught his name, for Sherlock Holmes. Holmes arrived by handsome cab immediately. Mm. He's dead all right, Watson? And from that wound in his side. A knife wound. An attempt at an upward thrust between the ribs straight to the heart. But it, it was deflected and still fatal. You see, I've merely removed his cape and jacket. He's lost a considerable amount of blood. You don't know this man? He's not a patient of yours? No, I've never seen him before in my life. Yet you say that he mentioned my name. Well, the inference would be that he knew who you were and of our association. Otherwise, why gasp out the message? Can you remember the exact words? It's a bit difficult to say for sure. He was dying, poor fellow, but as far as I could make out, he said, tell Holmes that there is snow at Brendan Woods. It doesn't make much sense to me. I know we've had a severe winter and there's been a lot of snow, but why mention Brendan Woods? You're sure that he said nothing else? No, that's all. He just repeated the phrase and then... Then he died. I got hold of a couple of the boys outside near the canal and paid them to go first for you and then to the police station. Well, I'm very glad I got here first. Usually I'm only called in once the police have carried out their examination and ruined all the clues. Before they arrive, I should like the opportunity to study the dead man. You said that you have touched nothing. No, nothing at all. I, I've just examined the wounds, staunched the bleeding. Otherwise, the body lies where it fell. Oh, good, good. Now, to start with a thorough examination of the clothing... The police report on the body itself will be accurate enough. That can come later. Very well, Watson, I shall start with the shoes and work upwards. Holmes had about 15 minutes before the police arrived. And in that 15 minutes, he went over the body of the dead man, examining every part of his clothing. He scraped earth away from under the, his boots. He took threads from the cape that lay beneath the shoulders, studied the contents of the pockets, making a careful note of each detail in his notebook. Eventually, he was satisfied and was able to stand back with some satisfaction 
when Inspector Gregson of Scotland Yard took charge. You've concluded your examination, Holmes? Yes, as much as I could without moving the body. Uh, the man is unknown to you? Completely. Mm. All right, men. Uh, nothing in his pockets that gives any identification? Not a thing. There's a wallet, but it contains only sovereigns. A few florins and loose change. Cheap handkerchief, penknife, bunch of keys. That's curious. Nothing else? No, that's why it's so curious. As though the man was determined to remain anonymous. There are not even name tags on his clothing. Even the maker's name inside the collar of his cloak and jacket has been removed. Now, that is most unusual. I think we shall have a job finding out who this man is, Gregson. Uh, well, uh, we'll do our best. Might I make a suggestion? Uh, what is it? Try the French police, the Surete. Uh, why do you say that, Holmes? Well, while his clothing has no maker's tag, the, the cut of the jacket is unmistakably French. The boots and trousers are not. They could be purchased anywhere, but the, there is a look of a Frenchman about the fellow. It's worth sending a description of him to Paris. Oh, very well, I'll remember that. Uh, thank you, Holmes. Is there anything else? I don't think so. I'd like to hear the result of the post-mortem and, of course, any other items of news that may spring from this man's murder. Uh, quite. We shall keep you informed. All right, men. We can go. Oh, uh, by the way, Gregson, have you made any progress on the Isle of Dogs smuggling case? Uh, Mr. Lestrade has the matter in hand. He hasn't reported anything lately. I think he's up against a brick wall, if you ask me. No progress for some months. Mm. Well, I'd like news on that also, if it's not too much trouble. Tell Lestrade I've been... I'll be calling upon him shortly. Very well. Come on, you men. Get him into the police van. Uh, uh, good day to you, Holmes. Dr. Watson. Good day. Oh, Holmes, this is a fine way to start the day. What on earth does it all mean? I've no idea at the moment, Watson. There's insufficient data to formulate any theories, but... I think we must not waste time. Uh, are you able to leave these rooms for the next hour? I have an appointment at noon. As long as I'm back here by then, yes, I can spare time. Uh, why, Holmes? What are we going to do? Find out where this man came from. Shouldn't be all that hard. He's been bleeding profusely. Although hunched up with a hand over his wound, he must have left a trail that can be followed. And the police have now driven away. We can continue in an uninterrupted fashion. I'll get your coat on, Watson. Bring a couple of stout sticks... Let's hope we shan't have to use them, but one never knows. Come, come, there's no time to lose. It's seldom that we have a fresh path to follow. Let's take advantage of it. Hurry now, Watson. Hurry. I did, as Holmes instructed. Within five minutes, my rooms were locked, and we were out in the street. Once again, I watched and admired Holmes at work. No one would ever have guessed that we were not simply taking a morning stroll. He seemed not to be looking at anything, although his eyes were everywhere. Sometimes he would pause and with a nonchalant gesture of his stick indicate a spot of blood on the paving stone or a smear against a wall. We walked down Warwick Avenue and across Fowley Place Bridge over Regent's Canal. There, Holmes stopped and with a slight nod of his head indicated some stone steps that led down to the water. At the bottom of the steps, a gravel path showed clear footprints. <clears throat> ah, there. See, Watson, it's mm. here that the attack took place. Note the marks. Mm. And here, here against the upright of the bridge. Blood. Mm. Yes, here is where our friend was ambushed and attacked. I should say by two men. Two men who had lain in wait for him. Yes, they must have known he'd be coming here along. So they concealed themselves in an alcove of the cement bridge. And they waited for at least... Twenty minutes before pouncing upon him. How do you know that, Holmes? Cigarettes. 
It was darkness on the matchsticks. Yes, at least 20 minutes. Maybe more. The natural impulse of a smoker would be to throw the ends of the cigarettes into the water. Yes, one of them could well have been a seafaring man. Look. That's the spit marks of the man who chews tobacco. The seaman's shed, that. So we know he was attacked by two men. Now, the next question is, where was our friend coming from? Yes, I think that's fairly easy. You do? Oh, yes. The boots and the bottoms of his trousers were not only damp, but they also smelt rather strongly. Look, there's the opening of the drain into the sewers beneath the canal. The gridwork is still resting ajar. Yes, it's all beginning to fit. Where does that drain lead, Holmes? We shall find out when we go through it, Watson. But uh, uh, come, if they come nearer, let us bend down as they're examining the earth by the water. Right. That's it. Now I'm uh, going to take my magnifying glass out and appear to be looking at the blades of grass. But watch. Small handbarrow, Holmes. Why? Don't ask questions. Just crouch there and wait. Yes. Yes, don't turn around. Don't move, Watson. We're being watched. There, from the top of the bridge. There are two men noting our every move. Yes, I can see them quite clearly in the mirror. They could be the two men responsible for all this. What do we do, Holmes? We wait for a while, and then we shall give them the slip. But, for the moment, let us pretend we're completely unaware of them. They're just as interested in us as we are in them. You know, this has all the elements in most unusual cases. Well, what's it look like? I'm trying to work out what happened. Uh, they must have followed the trail there. Uh, we should have finished him off proper and dumped the body in the water. Yeah, the governor will say you made a right mess of this, Soapy. Me? Why me? I did what you told me to. If you hadn't gotten that fight with him... We well... was told to stop him, weren't we? Plenty of ways of doing that without scurning him. And not doing a clean kill, either. Oh, I thought I'd done him in. It wasn't until we came back along here and I saw there was no body that I knew I'd missed. It can't be helped. I'll tell that to the governor. Anyway, them two is on to it. What are they? Plainclothes men? Detectives? Must be. We do. Keep out of the sight. Then follow them. Look. Look, there they are. They're straightening up. Walking along the canal path. Come on, let's follow Don't look round and don't worry about being followed, Watson. We should get rid of them quite easily before calling upon Mr. Woods. Calling upon Mr. Woods? Well, I don't know what you're talking about, Holmes. Watson, you'll continue to take things at their face value, won't you? The dying man's message. Snow at Brendan Woods. Brendan Woods is not a place, Watson. It's a person with a man's name. Oh, oh, I see. Never thought of that, but... Snow. Snow is the underworld's name for the white powder, Watson. Dope. Drugs. Brendan Woods has something to do with dope smuggling. That's why I asked Gregson about the Isle of Dogs case. Come on, let's get rid of these tiresome followers, shall we? I was never able to keep up with Sherlock Holmes' powers of observation and deduction. His reasoning was always logical and usually correct. But at times, I found it bewildering. However, I had learned not to query his decisions. And so, on that blustery January morning... I followed him swiftly down the paths of the Regent's Canal, through a labyrinth of highways and byways, until he had shaken off our two followers. Before I knew it, we were back at the same spot under the Howley Place Bridge. I think we've got rid of those two tiresome gentlemen, Watson, so shall we take up the trail again? In through that grating over the drain, I think. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> 
Pleasant, but we shall have to endure it. Yes, I had you should have the nose and mouth, my dear. Yes, I agree. I'd have put out a cologne on if I'd known we should endure this. It shouldn't last very long. I have an idea where we shall come out. Can you see Watson? Not very well, but busy not. There's a light ahead. Look. You realize, Watson, that we're very near Paddington Station, and next to Paddington Station Goodyard is a lot of waste ground. Well, is that where we're going to come out, folks? Yes, I think so, but here, follow me. I. I think that's a step up here. Careful, careful. Uh, 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 now, this, uh, uh, this paving stone above it has been moved. Uh, yes, recently, so it should lift up and slide over. I think I can manage it. Uh, just stand back, Watson. Uh, 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 that's it. Come on, it's quite easy. Just pull yourself up. Come on, Watson. Let me give you a hand. Just as I thought. Yes, the courtyard. Look at that sign, Watson. Brendan uh, Woods, Dragon Buttonman. Well, you're right as usual, Holmes. It is a man, and he must live here. Yes. In his house, in the yard, yes. Come along, let's see who's in charge here. Rough sort of neighborhood, Holmes, you say, very near the station. What do you want? How did you get in here? You should have come to the front. Mr. Woods doesn't like strangers in his yard. We are the police. You must let us in. We need to talk to Mr. Woods straight away. Police? Well, I'm Mrs. Paddy. I'm, I'm just the housekeeper. I don't know nothing about what goes on in these quarters. I, I ain't done nothing. Take us to Mr. Woods, and I shall be more inclined to believe you. Oh, well, well, all right then. Uh, come on in then. Uh, <coughs> Mr. Woods, he, he doesn't normally see no one. He's, he's bedridden, you see. Has been for some years. Never leaves the house. And I don't rightly like to disturb him so early. Uh, early? Huh, it's nearly lunchtime. Well, I never go into him until after 12 o'clock. He sleeps a lot, he does. Here. Here are. Here are. Uh, there's two gentlemen to see you, Mr. Woods. I think... Oh, my God. I shall never forget my first impressions of that room. It was large, but so cluttered with bric-a-brac that it looked like a junk shop. Facing us against one wall was a heavy brass and iron bed. Under the patchwork counterpane lay a frail old man. His head was partly covered with a white nightcap. His frail, bloodless hands touched at the grimy sheet about his neck. One glance was enough. The man was desperately ill. Mr. Woods! Mr. Woods. Holmes, Holmes. This oh, man's dear. ill. He's, he's hardly conscious. Uh, but please, let me see. Well, what, what's the matter? He was all right yesterday. Yes, he's had a stroke. Oh. He's conscious, but can't speak. See, his hands are twitching. Holmes, we must get this man into hospital. Yes, yes, but uh, what's this? A piece of paper by his hand. Finds what they would wish to keep. Golden orbs in reach of sleep. Golden orbs in reach of sleep. Now, please, Holmes, this is not time to ponder over that doggerel. This man's desperately ill. We must help him, and at once. Holmes went into action. He immediately handed the housekeeper a sovereign and gave her clear instructions. A carriage ambulance was sent for, and the old man was removed. Holmes went over the room in great detail, and then took a handsome straight to Scotland Yard. 
He was lucky to find Gregson in his office. Uh, the dead man was French, all right, Holmes. Named André Bresson. He was working on what the French call La Fierre Passevant. A smuggling gang who used the Thames as a way of passing dope to ships bound for America. Just as I thought. Any more details? Uh, the French think that he was onto the London top man. His identity is unknown. He works under the name of the Governor. Son's latest report led the Surete to believe that he was about to break the whole line. He should have had information about every port, every dumping ground for drugs from Marseille to Liverpool. But we can't find that information. I think we may be able to, even yet, Gregson. Now, listen to what I have to say. It's vitally important. The man we are after, whom they call the Governor, can be caught. I think I know how he will react. His men are the ones who were watching Watson and myself earlier today. We can trick them, I'm sure. You were tricked. You made a mess of the whole thing. Attempted to kill Brasson and aroused suspicions. Allowed him to crawl away. How do you know that he hasn't told the police everything he knows? We did our best. We were just unlucky, that's all. Well, Sobby's right. What could we do once those two turned up? I mean, the tall fellow in the cape and the, and the hat and, and the other fat one. You don't even know who they are, do you? You dopes. That man is Sherlock Holmes, and his companion is Dr. Watson. Holmes happens to be the best private detective in Europe. And you, you have put him on my trail. Now, go on, get out. Get out. I'll handle this myself from now on. It's clear that Bresson had an accomplice in the Regent's Canal, the rag and bone merchant, Brendan Woods. It's time someone interrogated him. Well, if you'd like us to call round... No. Uh... You? You never anymore. You are dismissed. I'll clear out. Yeah, look here. What about our payment? You promised All it. I promise you is a nasty death unless you get out of my sight this instant and stay out. Go on, get out. I told you. I'll manage myself from now on. I must put a stop to this straight away. Before Mr. Sherlock Holmes gets too well informed. Yes. I must move on. It's straight away. I have an appointment to see Mr. Brendan Woods. Can you kindly take me to him, please? An appointment, have you? Oh, uh, well, I suppose it's all right. Uh, very well, then. Come in. Follow uh, me. There we go. Uh, he's through here. He's been very ill, he has. You better not stay too long. He can't get out of bed. He can hardly talk. Uh, in here. Remember now, don't stay too long. You are Brandon Woods. Oh, what, do you, what, do you, what do you want with me? Who are you? Never mind who I am. I'm here because I have good reason to believe that you have been conspiring against me. What do you know of the man André Brasson? I've never, never heard of him. Don't lie to me. He was here several times. He called upon you and enlisted your help, didn't he? He gave you information and used your rag and boneyard as a ground to conceal things. I don't, I don't, I don't know what, what you mean. Yes, you do. You know all right. It was very clever using this place. An ideal spot to spy on all the transactions that we've arranged with the goods yard in the river. What do you know about La Fieuve Passavant? I, I, don't, I don't know what you mean. I, I'm an old man. I'm ill. You, you've got no right to come in here like this. I, I protest. Shut your mouth, you old fool. You must know all about Brasson. He was a spy from the French police. And he must have left certain information here. Information and a sample of the goods we trade in. What? 
What do you want? I want those goods and anything that Brasson may have written about our organization. Don't say that you are ignorant because I know you are not. We've had our eyes on you for some time. Because you were weak and old, we thought you were harmless. But now I can see that you're a scheming, evil old devil who is behind some of our failures. Well, there's always one way of taking care of that. See, this knife? No, no, I, I can't tell you anything when I'm, when I'm dead. Then if you value your life, speak now. Take, take this. It's, it's all I can, can tell you. Find what you would wish to keep. Golden orbs in reach of sleep. Golden orbs in reach of sleep. What the... Ah, ah, yes. Golden orbs. The brass knobs of the bedstead. They're within easy reach of the bedridden man, half asleep. The brass knobs on the top of the iron bedposts. Clever. Well, we shall soon see. It's no good. What? Stay exactly where you are, hands on the bed rail. This gun is at your head, and I promise you one move, and I'll blow your brains out. All right, come in, Gregson, Watson. All right, right. This is the man. Take him away. Congratulate me, Gregson. The rag and bone man has just caught the governor. Gregson, of course, was delighted at this sudden and dramatic turn of events. The place suddenly seemed to be swarming with policemen. The governor was taken away, and over a nice hot cup of tea served by Mrs. Paddy, the housekeeper, Holmes explained how he'd dressed as the old man and taken his place. Gregson was right, of course. Brasson did have information, and he was using the rag and bone man as a cover point. Yes, I saw at once the meaning of Wood's message. The golden orb was indeed the brass bed knob. I extracted all the contents. A pouch filled with opium and heroin, and also Brasson's notes regarding the people and places he knew were dispersal points in the drug-running business, operating from Regent's Canal to the Isle of Dogs. A very useful case, Watson. Hmm. Thanks, Miss Paddy, whom I took into my confidence. The latter has been successfully concluded. One can only hope that Brendan Wood's the back and bow man makes a good recovery. <laughs> well, shall we go home now, Watson, or would you like another cup of tea? Listen again next Sunday to The Stories of Sherlock Holmes with Graham Armitage's Holmes and Kerry Jordan as Dr. Watson. That's a really handsome painting, Holmes. Yes, brushwork is very fine. Painted by uh, Oliver Wynne. Mm, uh, yes, yes. I think the model's a very beautiful, Holmes. A most pleasing form. A woman of great fascination. Indeed. You're admiring the painting. Uh, Good. Uh, yes, yes. I think it's very fine, but... Surely you... You, you are Sherlock Holmes, are you not? Yes, that is correct. Mr. Holmes, I'm Esther Wynne. I posed for that painting. I think my husband is a very great artist. But, but Mr. Holmes, I... I'm in great trouble. Please, may I call upon you and ask your advice? I think it may be a matter of life or death. 
we present the stories of Sherlock Holmes. The Muffle Wife. Holmes and I had found ourselves in the Wigmore Art Gallery more or less by accident. We'd been to book seats for a violin recital and had wandered back to the foyer through the gallery. I was quite used to Holmes being recognized in public, but I was aware that this meeting and the lady's request were most unusual. Naturally, Holmes agreed to help, and an appointment was made for early the next day. In fact, we had scarcely finished breakfast when Mrs. Hudson showed in Esther Wynne. I had been impressed by her beauty in the painting, but in real life, Mrs. Wynne was far more impressive. It wasn't just the face and figure or the grace with which she moved and the low husky voice. It was an inner glow that shone through her clear blue eyes, a quiet, controlled animation that gave her personality a compelling sincerity. It was clear that she was, that morning, greatly troubled. Do sit down, Mrs. Wynne. A cup of coffee with sugar will help to put you at your ease. Uh, Watson, would you mind? No, of course not, by all means. Now, madam, pray remove your coat and gloves. For although it is still early in the day, it is quite cold. You will not feel the benefit of outer clothing when you leave, unless you do so. Thank you. Now, tell me what it is that disturbs you so much. Well, it, it, it's so hard to put into words. Now that I'm here, I, I don't know how to begin. Everything you say will be treated with the strictest of confidence, I do assure you. We're used to hearing all manner of secrets within these four walls. Yes, I know, but, but, well, I... It is about your husband, is it not? Your marriage is not the success that you would wish it to be. How did you guess that? It's not really a guess. You come here in a state of distress, and I notice that you sit there twisting and twisting your wedding ring around your finger. These latest theories of Sigmund Freud are profoundly revealing. Subconsciously, you are showing concern about the bond between yourself and your husband... Have the disagreements between you now turned to active violence? You, you seem to read my mind, Mr. Holmes. No. I notice the bruises upon your wrists, which even the lace sleeves cannot hide. You have been struggling with someone far stronger than you are. Am I right? Do my deductions help you to say what is on your mind? Yes. Yes, they do. You are correct in your assumptions. When I married Oliver, I was extremely happy. He was gaining recognition as a painter. The future looked promising. Somehow... The same he hoped for didn't materialize. Oh, we were able to buy our house down at Great Rylands. We were financially well off. But Oliver just didn't climb to the heights that he aspired to. He has become a, a fashionable portrait painter, but not a great artist. And his disappointment, his frustration began to affect his behavior. He appeared to turn against you. Yes. And then, then he started to become jealous of me. Everything I did was suspect. Everyone I looked at was my friend, not his. If a gentleman danced with me, he thought I was being unfaithful to him. Naturally, I protested. This led to quarrels, and of late it has become worse. Things came to a head about six weeks ago when a, a distant cousin of mine, Matthew Haldane, a young, presentable gentleman, moved into Little Rylands. Of course, I made him welcome to the house. But Oliver couldn't understand. He found us talking on the veranda one evening, and after Matthew left, Oliver seemed to lose his reason. He attacked me viciously. You're at it again, aren't you? Uh, 
And this time you've the nerve to bring your latest man into our house. Oliver, please, please, this is, this is nonsense. You're imagining things. It's not like that at all. Imagining things. Imagining that I saw you break away from each other when I came out here on the veranda. Imagining those guilty looks that passed between you. There were no guilty looks. Matthew was simply embarrassed by your aggressive attitude. Oliver, please, how can you think these things? Matthew is a relative, a cousin. Relative, so you say. But have I any proof of that? And even if he is, I don't think that would stop you from flirting with him. You can't keep your hands off him, can you? Please, please. Listen to me. You are my wife. And if you don't stop this carrying on with other men, I'll, I'll kill you. You understand? I'll kill you. That was just the start of it. The start of the violence. Mr. Holmes, I cannot go on like this. My, my husband has turned into a vicious brute. He seizes every opportunity to humiliate me, to strike me. And, and I know his madness is growing. He is planning to kill me. I, I know he is. And I can do nothing. I have no money of my own. No friends. No relatives I can turn to. What am I to do? Who will help me? Mrs. Wynne, you are indeed in a most unhappy position. I think I am quite unable to advise you. You can seek protection from the law only if it can be proved you are in danger. But I cannot see that I can be of any help to you. Look, a family friend, someone who's sympathetic, may be able to intercede. Some near friend of your husband's, whom he respects. There is no such person, Mr. Holmes. Dr. Watson, I... I fear that things will come to a head very shortly. You are the only two I have told this to... You and, and, and Matthew, who naturally questioned me. Matthew has plans. He wants me to leave, Oliver. Simply pack my things and leave him. Matthew has a little money and a country cottage in Cumberland that no one knows about. He says I can go there, stay as long as I wish. Run away? <laughs> will that solve it all? What steps will your husband take to get you back? If he is as, as unstable as you say, I think he will run amok. Well, I, I can't help that. Look, will you come down to Great Ryland's? I cannot ask you to the house for obvious reasons. But there is a most comfortable inn called the Anvil. If you could stay for a night or so, I could introduce you to Matthew. And perhaps if there is an opportunity, you could meet my husband. You can judge for yourself if, if I really am in danger. I know it seems as though I'm clutching at straws, but please, this is the one way you can help me. Please? Both Holmes and I have been working rather hard. And so, after a deal of discussion, we agreed upon a weekend in the country. And that Friday evening saw us safely installed at the Anvil at Grape Rylands. Holmes had always maintained that the best place to meet people in the country was the bar of the pub. He was right. For we'd scarcely ordered our drinks when... Excuse me. Are you Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson? That is correct. We've just arrived here. Uh, you, I take it, are Matthew Haldane, Mrs. Wynne's cousin? Yes. Yes, that's right. How did you guess? No one on these parts knows that we're visiting. Except Esther Wynne. She said she would try to arrange a meeting with you. Ah, uh, I see. She really is in great trouble, Mr. Holmes. Her husband, Oliver, is really going out of his mind. We must find a way of solving all this without anyone being hurt. Have you any suggestions? Well, I think you will agree when you know all the facts and see just how Oliver is behaving. But she must leave that house. Would it not be hard for me to assess this without actually calling at their home? It can be arranged. I can take you there in the morning. I will say that you are friends of mine from London who wish to look at some of his more avant-garde paintings. Those he has been unable to sell. 
He'll never be able to refuse that request. Very well, that seems a good plan as any. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Holmes. Let me buy the next round of drinks and we can drink to a successful conclusion to this very distressing affair. Your good health. And so, next morning, after a splendid breakfast, Holmes and I walked up the hill to Greystones, the large, ivy-covered house that belonged to Oliver Wynne. Matthew Haldane was waiting at the gates and showed us up the wide driveway to the Georgian entrance. An elderly butler answered the doorbell. Uh, please uh, be so kind, Mr. Winter. Uh, good morning, Mr. Haldane. Good morning, cousin. Mr. and Mrs. Wynne are at home, I hope. Uh, they are in the studio, Mr. Haldane. Would you care to leave your things here, gentlemen, and follow me? Thank you. Uh, uh, this way, please. They started work quite early. I think the master is anxious to complete his latest painting of Mrs. Wynne. Uh, just one moment. Mr. Haldane and some visitors to see you, sir. Some visitors to see you, sir. Mr. Oliver, sir. Sir. Madam, strange. The door is locked from inside. Here, let me. Esther, Oliver, is anything wrong? It's Matthew. Open the door. Please, I want to speak to you. It's important. Oliver, Esther. Holmes, something's wrong. You're sure they're both in there, Pearson? Of course. I, I saw them enter myself. The, the outside, the studio windows. Come along. <laughs> Matthew Haldane led the way out of the house and round the garden to where the specially built studio room jutted out. There were large windows. They were fastened from the inside and the curtains were drawn. But there was a large skylight stretching the length of the room. Matthew climbed up the brick wall and using the ivy was able to lie flat and peer down into the studio. He was there but an instant. Oh, oh no. Holmes, Watson, we've got to get in there. She... She is there, Esther, lying on, on the sofa, and she's dead. Matthew Haldane slithered his way down from his position near the skylight that covered Oliver Wynne's studio. He dropped to the glass and stood up. His face was pale, his hands trembling. He repeated what he had shouted to us a moment before. She, she's lying on the sofa, staring up, looking right at me. But, but her eyes, they're, they're wide and, and unblinking. There's blood on her forehead. She, she is dead. I could tell at a glance. We must break in. Uh, the door, is that the only one into the studio? Yes, the one Pearson showed us. Uh, looked a very solid door. I think it's better to break in through these windows. Uh, stand aside. Leave this to me. I uh, think I can reach the key from here. Uh, you see, uh, uh, Right, right, that's, that's got it. In we go. Now, the curtain back. Let's get some light in here. Ah, that's better. Yes, you're right, Watson. What do you think? Oh, she's dead. We'll have wounds in the right temple. Here on the floor, small, pearl-handled woman's pistol. Hm. Better not touch it. Haldane, find the butler fellow, Pearson. Don't let yourself out through that door. Go round the way we came. Get Pearson to send for the police immediately, then come back here. We shall want you when they arrive. But, but Esther, Esther, oh, my dearest Esther, this is all my fault. I should have taken you away. Oh, Esther. Haldane, I appreciate the fact that you are shocked and upset, but please do as I say. Go and send for the police. Yes. Yes, of course, I'm, I'm sorry. I'll go straight away. It, 
It's unbelievable. Why? Oh, my... Now, look here, Holmes. This is all very suspicious. After what this woman told us, it's, it's very odd that she should die such a violent death. But, well, look, there's the pistol. And, and there's no one else in the room. All the doors and windows fastened from the inside. Do you think her husband's persecution was imaginary and that the balance of her mind became so disturbed that, well, she killed herself? Uh, on the face of it, that's how it would appear. But the question uppermost in my mind is, where does this man Oliver win? Pearson says that they were both in here. I suppose he could have left without the battle of knowing it. She was in such a state that she locked the doors and windows to prevent interruption and then did away with herself. That's how it is intended to look, Watson. But we must not take things at their face value. Where is Oliver Wynne? Could he have got out of this locked room? Do you remember the Melville Grange case? Hmm? How the murderer got in and out of a locked room by using the secret panel on the veranda door? Yes, yes, I, I, I remember it distinctly. And we must first make sure there is no similar way of getting in and out of this studio. I want to search the place quite thoroughly before the police arrive. Or before Haldane gets back. But, uh, Holmes, do, do you think that, that Esther Wynne was telling us the truth? I mean that her husband was so insanely jealous that he would commit murder. I don't know, Watson. If he was jealous, then perhaps he had reason for being so. I think Matthew Haldane's reactions were genuine enough. Uh, they were a little too intimate for a man who was just concerned with a platonic friendship with his cousin. <sighs> There's more to this than appears. Very, very much more. But no more speculation, Watson. We must go over this room with the greatest of care. Not one small detail must escape our attention. Come, give me a hand. Together, we searched the studio. It was simply one large room with an alcove containing a sink and cupboards. Then, off to one side, a bathroom and changing room. Holmes studied the main door and then went over all the stonework, even measuring the distances and thicknesses of the walls. He found nothing at all unusual. Matthew Haldane returned and joined in the investigation. It still yielded nothing. We were still hard at it when P.C. Higgs from Great Rylands was shown in. Ah, uh, Constable, I'm afraid this case may be a little outside your usual duties. There is Mrs. Wynne. As you can see, she is dead. The pistol beside her. And the fact that she was alone in this room with all windows and the door locked and bolted from the inside points to suicide. Oh, I, I should think it does, but... Uh... Why should the poor soul want to do away with herself? Perhaps her husband will be able to answer that question, if you can find, find him. But might I suggest that an urgent call be put out to all your local policemen, and that nearby towns are alerted. It's most important that Oliver Wynne is found without delay. Oh, well, I see what you mean. Very well, Mr. Holmes. I'll see that it's done at once. Suicide, eh? Mm, suicide, or even more horrifying, murder. Murder? But by, by who and, and how? Two most important questions, and the answer to both of them at the moment is we don't know. But while you're at the police station sending out the alarm, perhaps you'll be good enough to send a telegram to Scotland Yard. I have an idea they may be at help in this. Inspector Gregson knows this part of the world very well. He was born and brought up in Oak Park, which is only a few miles from here. He's bound to be interested. Very good, Mr. Holmes. Anything you say. Right. I will write the telegram. And once again, Watson, we must continue our search of this room. We resume the search. Every cupboard was emptied and subjected to very close scrutiny. Holmes, with magnifying glass in hand, went over every shelf and panel. P.C. Higgs came back with some men from Little Rylands, and the body was removed. Still, we continued to go over the room. Holmes was tireless, and only stopped to welcome Gregson when he arrived by special carriage from London. Holmes explained the circumstances most carefully. Uh, look here, Holmes. If the place was locked and bolted from the inside, there was no one in here, no way of him getting out... And it must be suicide. I'm quite sure it wasn't. I'm quite sure that Oliver Wynne carried out his wild threats and killed his wife, staging this to appear as suicide. But, 
Well, how, how did he do it? And, and where is he now? Oh, we've been trying to answer those two questions all day, Gregson. There's only one place we haven't looked, and that's under the floorboards. Oh, but look here. If you're going to pull up the floorboards, it'll take hours, and, and the man can't have escaped that way. I've already studied them. They are polished planks of wood. There's nothing unusual about them, except they are of very high quality. There is only one strange feature, and that is that the floorboards are not placed under the bath in the bathroom. There's a space of about two feet down to the stone foundations. It is empty. It means nothing. That's the only unusual thing I've come across. Uh, after nearly six hours of work, oh, it's getting late and I've had no food. I think, Gregson, we should all go back to the Anvil Inn. I'd like to make one request, though. Uh, Constable Higgs, are you prepared to put in a little night work? Stay here in this room and don't leave it until we return in the morning? If that's what you want, Mr. Holmes, sir. And the inspector agrees. Yes. And of course I'll stay in this room. Good man. Come on, Watson. I'm starving. We went back to the inn. And for the rest of that day, Holmes was both silent and restive. It was late, very late, when he suddenly started up from his chair, discarded his pipe, and reached for his cloak. We've got to go back, Watson. I have an idea. I've always said that when one has exhausted all the possible explanations for crime, what is left, however absurd and unlikely, it must be the answer. And the answer is, of course, that Oliver Wynne was in that room when his wife died. There was no way that he could leave the room, and so, so he is still there. Come on. Holmes hurried me up the hill to Greystones. To our surprise, we found Matthew Haldane in the grounds. He also could not rest and had returned to the scene of the crime. Then, to our intense surprise, Pearson the butler appeared. Holmes immediately questioned him. Pearson? What are you doing up in here in the hall? It was the constable, Mr. Holmes. Constable Higgs. He's left. I heard movements in the studio. I got up and came down, and I saw the constable leaving, opening the front door and walking down the driveway. What? It can't be. Watson, hold in. Come quickly, the studio at once. We rushed through the house into the studio. It all appeared quite orderly, neat and untouched. Holmes ignored the main room. He hurried into the bathroom, and lying face down on the floor, began to tug at the floorboards that ended just under the bath. I... I've been blindful, Watson. These, these planks that make up the floor stretch through into the studio. The planks can't be taken up, but at least three of them slide. They, they slide here, under the bath, to fill this gap. And, and when this gap is filled, there is a space revealed in the studio. There. That's it. Now, come. Come and see. Holmes. Holmes. There's a man there in the in the space beneath the floorboards. He's 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 dead. Stripped of his outer garments. Strangled, I'd say. It's Constable Higgs. And his murderer has escaped in police uniform. Oliver Wynne killed his wife and hid himself under the floorboards, drawing them across over himself. So he lay there all the time we carried out our investigations. Then when Higgs stayed here alone, he got out, killed Higgs, and took his uniform as a disguise. Quickly, Watson. We must get Gregson to raise the alarm. Every man in the country must be out to catch a murderer in a police constable's uniform. Holmes, I, I think I know where he will have gone. To my home, my cottage. It's clear that the man is crazy, as cunning as a fox. But he has tasted blood, and having killed two people, he'll think nothing of killing a third. Me. He knew of my feelings for Esther. He'll be out to kill me now. Please, get Gregson to throw a cordon of men round my cottage, and we will catch him. I know we will. We did exactly as Matthew Haldane asked. 
Under the supervision of Inspector Gregson, every available man was called upon. And aided by the darkness, we surrounded Haldane's cottage. He was right. Oliver Wynne was lurking in the grounds. The men closed in. Come on out, Wynne. We know you're there. You can't escape. You'll never take me alive. Never. Never. Taken the easy way out. Come on, men. No need for caution any longer. And so that was that. But Holmes was a very miserable and depressed man. He counted this case amongst his few failures. I should have worked it out two hours earlier, Watson. I could have saved that constable's life. Write this down as a bitter failure, Watson. I did my best, but for once my best was not good enough. Come, let's go home. Listen again next Sunday to The Stories of Sherlock Holmes with Graham Armitage's Holmes and Kerry Jordan as Dr. Watson.